This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Visionary Wealth Advisors is an SEC-registered investment advisor with offices located in Colorado, Florida, Illinois, and Missouri. Investment information presented in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon by any individual. It is recommended that all listeners seek individual advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor. Any reference to a market index is included for illustrative purposes only, as it is not possible to directly invest in an index. All statements and opinions expressed in this broadcast are based upon information considered to be reliable, although no express or implied warranty of accuracy is given. It is important to consider that all investments involve risk, and no investment strategy can guarantee positive results. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, also the founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. And today I have the privilege to interview our Chief Investment Officer, John Fisher. John, how you doing? Hey, Brett. Doing great. Thanks. Awesome. Well, it's good to have you. I know we've uh, done a lot of this stuff in the past, but today uh, here on the Circuit of Success, we are going to talk about behavioral finance. I think it's uh, it's really important as of uh, obviously with the markets, the way they've been ending 2018, off to a good start in 2019. I think it's very important. So we'll just start kind of high level today with what is behavioral finance? Yeah, Brett, I think it's a really important discussion and topic point for investors because it, 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 there comes so many risks uh, when it comes to the behavioral side of investing. Um, when we talk about what is behavioral finance, what we're really talking about is the, the how emotions and psychology interact with investment decisions. Uh, we tend to think that we're very rational human beings uh, and that we, we use that rationale when it comes to investment decisions. But what we've seen with a lot of uh, research in recent years is that humans tend to make uh, a lot of decisions for, with their investments based on their own emotions and the psychological perspectives that they have, uh, their own biases, so to speak. And so ultimately what that does is it has an, a negative impact on their overall investment outcomes. Got it. So when you think about it from an investor standpoint, why would I care about that? Yeah, I think it's it's really important um, because you know there, studies have shown that uh, emotional mistakes when it comes to investing cost investors a lot over time. There's a fa- famous research study called the Dalbar study. That's D A L B A R, and what they look at is they look at the average returns of investments versus the average returns of investors. And what they found is over the past 20 years, ending in the December of 17, looking 20 years before that, that the S&P averaged a return of 7.2% over that 20-year time frame. However, it might surprise you to hear that the average equity investor only earned 5.3%. So I'm going to stop you there. So again, it was 7.2% for the S&P 500, and the average investor was? 53 Okay. So uh, 1.9% less per year that the average equity investor earned over that 20-year time frame. And if you think that's a big margin, fixed income or owning bonds is actually even worse. What we found over that 20-year time frame was that the, if you look at the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Barclays Aggregate Index, which is the, I would, it's basically the, the S&P 500 equivalent for bonds, what we found was is that that index 
averaged just about 5% per year over the past 20 years. However, fixed income investors' average return over that, those 20 years was only 0.44%. So they actually had a, a, an average return of 4.5% less than the bond index. Yeah, I mean, that's a game changer too for f- people's financial plans, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you put those together, you think about that within the context of a balanced portfolio, because most of our clients own a, a balance of stocks and bonds. And to think about you're giving up anywhere between two and a half, three to 4% per year. In any one year, it doesn't feel that painful. Um, but over time, that is a significant amount of losses. So how do these losses show up to investors? And uh, you know, what's the primary reason these poor returns? Why, why do you think it is these numbers are so drastically different? Yeah, I think over time, it's because people think that, you know, there's an old saying that people make all the wrong decisions at all the wrong times for what feels like the right reasons. And so our emotions compel us to make these decisions where we think that it, because it feels good, unfortunately, it compels us to make decisions that run counter to good, pragmatic investment decisions. And so when the, the problem with these kind of losses is that investors don't see or feel these losses because they're not realized losses. This isn't like owning a stock that drops where you can see in your portfolio statement how much it's dropped. Um, well, you know, what they, these losses come in the form of gains that you don't receive, which really makes them more dangerous because you don't see them on your statement. They're almost hidden to a certain extent. Yep. So you don't realize that margin of error, that margin of loss that you're incurring. The most important thing, I always jokingly say we're like a psychologist, right? Uh, all due respect to all the psychologists out there, it's phenomenal what those people do. But when we're with our clients, I know for me as an advisor, it's constantly walking through the emotions, right? And so I think people hear what's going on in the market. And I know from you know, 18, 19 years ago, yeah, we had 24-hour news stations and all that stuff. But today, it's in our face nonstop, right? It's showing up on our phones. It's showing up on our computers. It's on the TV everywhere. Uh, I think it, it, it gets and creates a lot more emotions for people and it creates that fear. That's right. And, you know, Brett, the, that's the challenge with it, with their 24-hour news flow is these, these analysts that you see on TV, these so-called experts, they don't get paid to not have an opinion, so all of them have a strong opinion about what the market's going to do in this different time. And what it really does is it compels investors to feel like making uh, market timing decisions. And we right. talked about, you know, what's the primary reason for these poor returns? It's really trying to time the market by the investor. And we see that really in the form of, you know, buying high and selling low. Um, people's decisions are less rational and more emotional than we care to admit or that we realize. Yeah. And um, our innate instincts generally serve us well in life. But investing, they, t- kind of tend to, they tend to send us the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, when you think about buying high, you know, we're buying high because it feels good. You know, usually in life, good feelings indicate an activity we should pursue. Well, in investing, it drives us to want to buy when past returns have been high, but future returns will be lower. Right. And then you, you go to the flip side of that coin and talk about selling low, right? Well, we learned from a very young age that the instinct of pain avoidance you know, Brett, you've got a few young kids. I've got a young kid myself. Um, you know, the, the, the hot oven, right? We teach our kids from very right. early age that the oven is hot. And uh, if they don't listen to us, one time touching it is usually enough to, for them to, li- to realize that it hurts. And the best way to remove that pain is to take your finger off the oven. That's right. Well, that kind of pain avoidance instincts that we're taught from a very young age serve us well in life, but poor in investing. Because often that, that pain that comes from investments is when they've fallen in value. 
which oftentimes means that they have the best potential for higher future returns. And Brett, the other question I'd ask for you is how often you see those opinions come out? You know, we're in, you know, this is beginning, you know, relatively beginning of the year. How often do you see uh, the results or the review of those opinions at the end of the year to see how good their predictions were? Well, you never see them. And I always go even a step further and say there's no accountability, right? You and I have accountability with our clients. And if, if we make the wrong predictions, we get fired. That's right. Right. And so to your point, you know, the, you know, these, these experts are paid to have an opinion. They're not paid to be right. And so it's challenging because when you're constantly bombarded by this messaging, it's very difficult to be able to tune out that noise because the idea of a quick uh, getting rich or getting this, this pick right and making money in a quick fashion, it seems desirable, right? And it seems desirable. It feels good to follow a so-called expert. And that's the challenge when you have this constant news feed of, of what you're hearing to separate that from what your investment plan is. Right. Well, I think, too, they, they also want to drive in the fear of, you know, Dow has biggest drop ever. You know, maybe now by point-wise, that may be correct, but percentage-wise, right? And so it's all in the marketing on how they do that because I know the conversations I have with clients is, yeah, the market's down in, in 2018, especially that last quarter there, right? But I think the most important thing is to get an understanding of a 2% drop when the market's at 10000 is not any different than a two percent drop when the market's at twenty six thousand or twenty three thousand, but the number's different. That's right, Brett. And we had this conversation within our, our with our advisors this year because it's been so long. It's been really nine or ten years since we've seen you know significant market declines um, um, over you know generally speaking, and so clients aren't used to seeing those losses. And so when you're seeing these numbers come up, you know over that time you've seen the Dow climb um, you know significantly above twenty thousand. Uh, whereas back in 2009, 2010, it, you know, it was it was below 10,000 at, at its bottom, right? So, you know, one percent of 10,000 is a much smaller number than one percent of 25,000. And so, you know, when, but it's hard to have that that mindset uh, in the moment when you see it on TV. That 500 points isn't really any different than 200 points was uh, 10 years ago. Um, all you see is that big number, and and that it feels painful, and that feeling can often. Te- Tell us, tell us to do things that are run counterproductive right. to our long-term goals. Absolutely, absolutely. So, John, I know you're a huge analogy guy. Um, you know, give our listeners an example of why avoiding market timing is so difficult. Yeah, you know, Brett, I think that the challenge with market timing, um, first of all, from a high level, why it's difficult, why investors should stay away from it, is it's not just getting one decision right; it's actually getting two decisions right. So, if you're going to time the market, and you're going to try and sell at an appropriate time and buy a different time. Um, you know, it's not just getting one decision right. You've got to get two decisions right. When to sell and when to buy back in. And oftentimes, even if we sell, we you know we like to think we're going to buy low, we're going to buy back in an opportune time. But we generally get back in, we buy when we feel good. Um, and generally by that time, the market's already yeah. gone up substantially and you've missed out on a lot of the gains or the opportunity of buying attractive prices. Um, you know, the example I like to use in terms of why market timing is so difficult is when you think about the tendency to buy high and sell low, I tend to think of like the house party. You know, if I like to think back to not not too many years, but more than I care to admit, the college, you know, when you're back in college, yep. you know, on a Friday or Saturday night, there were a lot of different parties that you could go to. You had your decisions on, you know, go to party A, party B, and and usually you were asking, where were your friends going, right? Where were all the friends going? Where was the best party going to be? And, you know, the, the temptation of, you know, when you, when you pick a party is, you want to go to the party where the most people are, right? Where they're having the most fun. Well, that's also the thing of buying high, right? You're, you're basically doing, you're following the crowd. Mm. 
and and you're and you're doing what feels the best and choosing that party that has the best music and the all the most amount of your friends is the equivalent of buying high. Well, in investment world, um, you know, the opportunity to buy low means you have to make a decision that no one else is making, right? You just see at the party that the music is is not 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 the best. You know, none of your friends are there. And there may only be two or three people at the party, right? And everyone else is judging you for why you're not at the other party. And so that's the challenge when we think about emotionally making the right decisions when it comes to investments is you have to, you have to avoid the crowd, avoid following the crowd and tune out that noise and, make, and go your own path that is generally runs counterintuitive to everything you're hearing both on TV, in the papers, yep. and from your peers. Yep. Yeah, and I think it, it's uh... – I guess it was back in the mid-year, mid-early year of 2018, you and I did a video people can find on visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can find on our social media stuff, but the B word, Bitcoin. How many times did we hear that? Should I invest in Bitcoin? What should I be doing? Tell us a story on that one. Yeah, Brett, we talked about that. And um, that was back in early 2019 when, you know, it's, it's high in late December of 17, if I'm keeping my keeping track of my years now, um, was it right around 20,000. And um, we, we talked about it with investors and said, first of all, you know, in that first, in that month between the high and mid-December of 17 and January of 18, it lost a third of its value in just a month. And so the challenge there is that um, first and foremost, we know investors have a hard time holding, holding investments that are very volatile or fluctuate in significant amount. Um, but also, you know, the other thing that we talked about was, you know, for anyone, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin was at 20,000. You saw some prognosticators talking about it going to 100,000 or even a million. I mean, some of the predictions out there were, were crazy, right? And what we talked about was, you know, it's, it's really impossible to say whether Bitcoin's going to be a home run or a strikeout from there. But I think for the most investors who are good investors, you know, they don't need a home run to achieve their financial goals for their financial plan to work, Brett. You know, you sit right. down with clients on an everyday basis and talk about, we just need to do this, you know, the consistent investing, focus on what you can control. And we're not trying to pick individual stocks that are going to quadruple to achieve our financial goals. And so we talked with our investors about looking at Bitcoin and saying, you know, it could be a home run, but it could also be a strikeout. And we don't need, we don't necessarily need home runs, but we also need to avoid strikeouts to achieve our financial goals. And certainly dropping more than 80% from its high since then, um, it's it's been had a significant decline, and again, and then if 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 you did own Bitcoin at its peak, um, you're now you've lost 80% of your investment, and we know that takes a really long time, a really long time, to make that back if you're an investor having having that those significant losses. Absolutely, and I know that's when we get the phone calls, right? That was the point of that that question is we get the, we get the phone calls after if that's right. the all time high, right? So. So we're here live with uh, John Fisher, uh, our Chief Investment Officer at Visionary Wealth Advisors. And again, I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and we come to you every single week. We're excited just to bring brilliant minds like John and all the other great people we have each week on the circuit of success to help you live your best life and to help you become the best version of yourself. Stay with us as we head to a break. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. I'm also the founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. We're joined today with John Fisher, our Chief Investment Officer. So, John, it's been great having you so far on the show. I know we've talked a lot about behavioral finances. What's the good, the bad, the ugly for our clients? Uh, why is it a big deal for their rate of returns? Uh, we've had a few analogies right, that are out there. We've talked about the things of buying low, the selling high, or, or quite frankly, the opposite. Sometimes people do buying high and selling low and how we're going to try to help them with that. And so what I'd like to talk about now is 
2018 was the first down year for the S&P 500 that we've seen since 2008. I mean, how do you think this is going to impact investors given the investor psychology that we're already talking about today? Yeah, but I think 2018 was a concerning year uh, for investors because, you know, it for the last nine years, the wars have been very calm. And then 2018 represented a, 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 a significant pickup in those waves. And I wouldn't say the waves were abnormally high, but, but given how calm the waves were for so long, the waves felt abnormally high. And the challenge with that is that, you know, those kind of waves, that kind of volatility in the market can really trigger poor emotional impulses for clients. Um, you know, one of the big things that jumps out to me, first of all, is, you know, a concern about overconfidence. You know, when the market goes up for nine straight years, um, you know, we're all geniuses, Brett. You think about it. How many, how, many, how many investment decisions have your clients made over the past nine years that have really ended poorly when you think about the market being up three times yep. from, you know, over a nine-year time frame? Well, I think so many times, too, it's almost like you close your eyes with a dart and just throw it and, and hit that fund or that ETF or that stock, and you're going to make some money. That's right. And that's the challenge is that investors, we talk about emotions again, and emotions are, you know, our tendency is to say when the market goes up that we're brilliant, that I'm brilliant, by the way, as portfolio manager, and that when the market goes down, well, we had no way of controlling that. That was just an extreme circumstance, an outlier, and that just wasn't our fault, right? And so I think one of the challenges of 18 and seeing that downfall was, you know, investors seeing, uh, being a little bit overconfident of what their abilities were to generate returns. And, and also, what we also saw was, you know, what they, what psychologists would term the re- term the recency effect, which is that we tend to have re- only remember the things that have happened most recently. And so, when we think about the markets having done so well recently. There's this concern that investors can can forget what it feels like to lose money, and it's really important to realize to remember that when we're investing in stocks, the trade-off for investing in stocks versus sitting in, in cash, so to speak, uh, you know, sitting in cash has a much lower return. But it's safer, right? We know that we're going to keep our money. We're not going to lose our money. Well, the, the trade-off for owning stocks is that we, we're exposing ourselves to an increased exposure in market volatility and a risk of loss. And over those last eight to nine years, clients really haven't been concerned about that risk of loss. Um, and so I think that overconfidence and really forgetting, you know, what you know, forgetting what 2008 and nine felt like. Um, is a real risk for clients in terms of their decisions and maybe getting a little bit more risky than what they're comfortable with. And, you know, Brett, I would actually ask you, I'll turn it back to you, you know, in terms of how we saw 18 play out, um, how did you see 20 out, 2018 play out with your clients in terms of seeing and feeling losses for the first time in quite a while? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you certainly got more phone calls, and I think that's also the, the more outbound phone, phone calls we make. And But I think it's also letting our clients know that this is probably coming, right? We know because we've been in the business long enough that it's not normal to take a line and just draw it up. Now, obviously, there's ups and downs along that way. But for that last nine, 10 years, that's just not normal. So I think it's important when you're working with your advisor and when you're working with us at Visionary Wealth Advisors, it's is education, right? We're big on educating. And so yeah, we certainly got the phone calls, but it's also we know, and you said this earlier, but we know we've built this into the plans. And so we don't just create a financial plan and say, okay, great, we're going to get a X percent rate of return, and that's going to happen every year for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Mm, doesn't work that way, right? Wish, wish it did, right? Wish it did. I wish it did, but it does not. And so I think it's, again, educating our clients on their financial plan, because that's the thing. Right? So if, you're, if your goal is, I want to retire at X age on X amount of income, and I need a second home, and I need this and that, and whatever else I need... Well, we're building the plan around that. We're not building it and chasing their return. 
to get that. So sometimes I also believe, and this isn't your question, but sometimes people take more risks than they really need to for their financial plan. That's right. So, well, well, and Brett, you know, you talked about something that was really important that, that what we had seen recently was not, was abnormal. It wasn't normal. And certainly, you know, we saw that in 2017, I would say in, in general, on average, we see a market correction, which is a, a, de- a decrease in the stock market from its peak by 10%. We see that about once a year. And 2017 was so abnormal that the biggest decline we saw was 3%. And so again, normally we see one 10% correction in a year and three 5% uh, market drawdowns. And we didn't even see one 5% drawdown in 17. And so, you know, to your point about educating our clients, you know, I spent a lot of time in the beginning of 18 talking about the pain of falling. And sometimes you can forget what it feels like to fall and how much it hurts. And uh, because I knew, we knew that 17 was not normal. It was abnormally calm. And we want to make sure investors remember that this wasn't normal. And, and it, it was almost to a point where I felt like I was Debbie Downer, this market <laughs> pessimist. And not because I thought the, the market didn't look good moving forward, but just so our clients can make sure that they understood that we haven't this volatility, this lack of volatility is not normal, and that we know when it comes back, if clients aren't prepared for it, it could lead to very poor de- client decisions. Yeah, and I think too is is that seventeen is having, uh, you know, I, I was thinking of the roller coasters, right? It's like going to Six Flags, and you what is it, the mine train, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a few drops, but no big gains, no big drops. Versus you can go ride Batman or whatever they are. It's a totally different ride, and that may be the ride we're getting ready to be on. You never know. Uh, but that's one of the things I want to talk about. So in, in, in 2018, as we're incurring losses, you wrote an article on uh, on how lessons of giving blood can make you a better investor. So there's your analogy stuff again. Yep. Uh, I know you love it, and I think it does paint a picture for us. So I think it's relevant uh, to this conversation. Can you explain to listeners you know, how is this possible? How can... The investing be like giving blood. Yeah, Brett, I appreciate the uh, yeah the recognition there on the on the analogy side. Now, you know, I love analogies because I think we all we all learn in general in life from things that, applying things that we know to things we don't know. And so, as I thought about um, 2018 and the challenges, you know, as 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 we roll as we, as we finished the third quarter and started the fourth quarter, the market started dropping fairly a fairly a fair amount, and it felt painful, right? And we hadn't seen those kind of drops in such a short time frame in a long time. And as I thought about trying to explain that to investors about the challenges there, um, you know, and again, your tendency when those those portfolio drops is to look at your statement and to see that, and that hurts, right? It hurts to see that, and and we know that when you look at your portfolio statement and you see that those losses, emotionally, it makes you want to uh, sell low, right? It makes you want to go yep. to cash and make a poor decision, and it th- made me think about uh, when I go and give blood, Brett. You know, I I love the satisfaction, the enjoyment I get from giving blood. Because I know that I'm making a difference in someone else's life, um, in, a, in, a, in a manner that in, in most wa- most other ways in my life I can't do. Um, but I have a challenge with giving blood. Um, I don't like the needle going in. I don't like to see the needle going in. Right. You know, there's a lot of people who have a fear of needles, and uh, there's a reason why I'm in the investment world and why I'm not a doctor or in the in you know in the med- medicine world. Um, because that you know seeing the needle go in and that kind of stuff it makes me queasy, right? It makes me a little bit squir- squirmish. Is probably the better word to say it. And what I found was is that if I would watch the, the needle go into my arm, I would feel less inclined to give blood. And I knew that giving blood, there was so many benefits to giving blood that made me feel good that I needed to somehow remove that part that made me think about not giving blood. And so I, you know, what, I, what I would do when, when it comes to giving blood is when it was time for the blood to go in or for the needle to go in, I would actually just look away. I would not look at the needle going in and I was fine. Right. Overall, the experience was increased substantially in terms of knowing that I was doing something good, 
you always get treats afterwards, which right. who doesn't love the cookies and snacks right. afterwards? Um, and I think it was a, it's a good analogy for investors because when your portfolio goes up, it's fun to see how much more wealthy we are. But when it goes down, we know that because of loss aversion and the feeling that losses are more painful than gains, that we're more likely to make bad decisions when looking at our statement on a frequent basis. And so their message there was that not that you don't look at all, but that you look less frequently when the, when the market's going down because it's, gonna, it's likely to drive poor decisions. And again, it goes back to that our, our tendency to avoid pain and seek security. And there's actually investment research that backs this up. There's a study that was done about 20 years ago that showed two different groups of uh, investors. And one had to look at their portfolio on a monthly basis, and one had to look at their portfolio on an annual basis. And what they found was is that people who had to look at their portfolio on a monthly basis ended up with a much more conservative portfolio, like a 40-60 portfolio. Hmm. 40% equity, 60% fixed income? Yes. Thank you, Brett. Absolutely. 40% stocks and 60% fixed income. Whereas the investors who had uh, only looked at the portfolio once a year actually had a 70% equity, 30% bond portfolio. And so these investors were not defined by their risk aversion or their risk tolerance. They were defined simply by the how often they would look at their portfolio. And what they found was that people who looked more often, the more often you look, the more losses you're going to see. The more losses you see, the more likely you are to, to have that pain, that feeling of pain. And we want to avoid that pain. Yep. And how we do that is we, get, we, 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 we reduce our exposure to stocks. And we know over the long term, Brett, you talked about financial planning and building a plan for your clients, is that the best, best thing we can do is help our clients stay invested in an appropriate, in an appropriate allocation. And if they look at their portfolios too often when they're falling, it starts to cause them to change their decisions, even though their overall process and plan hasn't changed at all. Yeah, yeah. I think I learned early on in this business, it's a ma- it's managing fear and greed. Right? That's right. So we're always trying to chase something, but we're always trying to eliminate that stuff. So again, we're here with John Fisher, Chief Investment Officer at Visionary Wealth Advisors. I am Brett Gilliland, Founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. Spent a lot of time today talking about the behavioral finances, obviously the emotions that we get into our own money uh, is a real thing, and that's what we're spending time on with us today. So thanks for joining us on the Circuit of Success. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Visionary Wealth Advisors as well. Uh, You know, we go every single week and we get to talk to all these great people from business leaders to authors to professional athletes. And we really get to dive into what I call their circuits to their success. And we talk about the attitude. We talk about the belief system. We talk about the actions that it takes every single day to be successful, whether you're talking investing, whether you're talking sports, whether you're talking about being a better parent, whatever it may be, it is the attitude, the beliefs, the actions that ultimately get you the results. And I think that creates a whole new vision. And so when you think about visions, John, again, we're with John Fisher, the uh, chief investment officer of Visionary Wealth Advisors. Um, you know, when you look ahead, we've had volatility, we've had losses uh, coming, you know, I guess coming out of 2018. Here we are in 2019 now. What do you see as the challenges right now? Yeah, I think, you know, Brett, you laid the backdrop quite well in that we've seen such a run-up of, of market um, increases. And one, there's a few things that jump out to me in terms of challenges as it relates to behavioral finance and, and you know, really the emotions and how emotions, you know, guide our investment decisions uh, as investors. And so, you know, one of those points that comes to mind, we mentioned briefly before, was overconfidence bias. And that's a feeling that that we know more than we really do. And the temptation to think that we can actually 
um, we have a better chance of performing well than maybe we do in reality. And so, you know, after nine years of, of good market performance, there's a tendency to think that we have a better capability of outperforming the market than maybe we do. And I think one of the most humbling things in investments that's the most difficult is to say, you know what, Brett, I, I don't know where the market's going. Um, and to be honest, you know, we, in general, we don't know where the market's going. And so, you know, what, one thing we always talk about is not predicting, but preparing. Because yeah. I always joke, you know, I'm a, I'm a runner. And so I always t- you know, say, if someone tells you where the next recession is or where we're going from here, I strap on your best pair of running shoes and run in the opposite direction. Because, you know, if, if somebody was able to predict the market with continual success over time, over and over again, they'd be somewhere on the beach. They wouldn't be giving investment That's advice. right. That's right. But I think it's hard with somebody in your situation. I know for me in my situation, but you as a, as a chief investment officer, the expectation is that you should, though. You should. That's right. And, and you know what? You know, it's like anything, Brett, that we learn in life is that the more we realize we know, the more we realize we don't know. <laughs> right. And I think the more that you, the more you research you do as it pertains to investments, and when you hear somebody like Warren Buffett say that, you know, I don't know where the market's going. I'm a long-term investor. I buy cheap assets. And over the long term, I expect them to appreciate in value. Yep. When you have someone who's been as successful as Warren Buffett saying in the short term, I really don't know where we're going and it's foolish to say so, who am I to think that I know more than Warren Buffett? And so I think there's a, a, a humility pill, but it's also an, a self-awareness pill of knowing that some of the best investors um, that we've seen can say that there's very little knowledge in the short term about how we can know where the market's going. It, you know, it's that frame of reference that hopefully can give you more confidence to say, let's not predict, let's prepare. Yeah. You know, one other area um, that I was going to talk about, you know, another, another bias that we see in terms of 2019 is familiarity bias. And that familiarity bias is really what it happens is it's a preference for, for us to, to lean towards familiar investments. You know, and when we talk about that, there's a couple of different ideas that come to mind. First of all, as it comes to individual stocks, right? Um, investors tend to uh, value owning their own company stock, whether it be a 401k, outside of their 401k, because they know it and they know the company. And usually knowing someone equates trust. And actually in 2018, over 2017 and 18, we saw a really good example, a really unfortunate example of this in terms of GE right, is how many thousands of people uh, have worked and retired for, uh, from GE and the losses that GE stock has withstood over the last two years have decimated portfolios. And clients who had, you know, have worked there for 30 years, had it in their 401k and thought it was safe because they knew the company and they trusted the company. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, GE lost more value in its stock than Enron back in the 2000s when Enron went belly up. And so you wow. think about individual stocks or you think about owning local stocks because you know the company that's in your backyard or even, you know, Brett, and I, you can speak to this too. You know, you see, we get a lot of clients who are an IT professional, so they know the tech world better than most people and that tendency to lean towards tech stocks when all reality, those kind of concentrations can really dispute, distort the diversification of our portfolios. Yeah. And Brett, I'm, I, you know, I'm clearly biased towards my affinity for Visionary Wealth Advisors, as most, empo- most employees are, have an affinity for their own company. One of the best values you have as a financial planner is you're not biased towards that individual company. And so you can help them talk them through the idea of separating what you talked about, right? Their, their paycheck versus their retirement plan. What uh, invest, you know, researchers would say, the difference between their human capital of what they can earn versus their financial capital of, of what they invest. And separating those two and the diversification there is so critical to overall success because in a case like, uh, you know, it's one thing to lose your job, but to also see your investment returns, your investment portfolio, you know, decline precipitously at the same time, 
is a is a is a risk that investors shouldn't expose themselves yep. to. Yep. So I know you're a big uh, you, you like this Peter Lynch quote that I'm sure you'll share. But you know what should investors do based on this quote that you'll share? Yeah. So I think in general, um, you know, Peter Lynch has a quote that says, "Far more money has been lost by investors preparing for or anticipating corrections than has been lost in corrections themselves." Hmm. And so I think it's a good point that you know one other area that we t- we mentioned briefly earlier was loss aversion. And with 2018 losses, you know, investors started to look for the next recession, right? And I, I kind of gave it, I, I, I compare it to a game of musical chairs. And Brett, you know, you know, you can think back to when you were playing musical chairs as a kid. When you're playing musical chairs and the music's going, and that music's been going for a while, what do you, what do you tend to do after the music's been going for a little while? You, uh, you kind of get checked out a little bit. You checked out, and you're looking at that chair behind you. Right. And if you're going to move that next chair, you're moving quite quick, right? People slow down. They start waiting that music to stop. And so as, we're, as we look at 2018 and you start to see those losses, how many people started asking questions, these experts, of when's the next recession and here's when the next recession is coming. And, you know, there's a danger there because, and, and, and we saw, and I think that led to some volatility in 2018 because investors started saying, well, it's, it's, you know, it's right around the corner. We're entering the 10th year of a market expansion. It's got to be here soon. And so you start, you start to see that investors start to look for that next recession. And that quote by Peter Lynch is just so valuable. Again, one of the best investors of our generation um, to say that you know far more money has been lost by investors preparing for or anticipating corrections than has been lost in corrections themselves. And one way I like to help explain this further is an analogy. Take us back to driving school, right? Is you know when you're driving down the road and you see a deer dart off, dart in front of your car. Brad, I'm gonna put you on the on the spot here mm-hmm. and take you back to to driving uh, class. What do, the, what do uh, experts tell you to do when a deer darts in front of your car? Well, they tell you just to keep on going. That's right. So your, ten, your temptation is to swerve. Yeah, I want to swerve out of the way and miss the deer. That's right. And they tell you, they tell you to stay on the road. They, they tell you that for two reasons. First of all is that you're likely to do more harm to yourself by swerving than just by staying on the road. And second of all, that, that not, only, <laughs> not only are you more likely to do harm to yourself, but that you're not likely to hit the deer even if you stay on the road. Right, because by the time we see it, it's already in front of us. Which means, as fast as that deer is going, it's likely not to be on the road by the time we get to that to the deer. Yeah, and I think it's such a good an- analogy for investors as we think about the next recession. Right, we want to swerve off the road and, and go to cash or sell. When in all reality, there's been a lot of research that has shown that that selling in time in the market results in a lot more losses uh, for investors than gains. And second of all, how many recessions have been called that actually haven't happened? And so that's the analogy of staying on the road and you're not going to hit the deer anyways, is that, you know, investors prepare for, to hit this deer or for this anticipated recession, as Peter Lynch said. Yep. And ultimately, the recession never appears. And, and so you look at that and you think about all the different potential value loss by swerving or not staying on the road. I think it's so critical that, that investors maintain a long-term approach. Yeah. And I think, too, the 08 and 09 timeframe, I know for, for me with clients, there was a lot of people in you know 2000 end of 2009 2010 2011 it it took them a while to get back in the game right because again how do you know when it's over when it's done all this stuff but you think of how many losses were 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 missed because we didn't jump back in but we don't want to jump back in because it's scary that's right and Brett you know it's funny you mentioned that getting back in in 2009 because I saw a statistic that is, I I saw it probably a year ago and I haven't forgotten it which is to say. Um, if an investor would have bought in October of 07 was the was the month the market peaked um, prior to the Great Recession of 08, 09. And if a client would have bought on the worst day, the day the market peaked, 
um, prior to the Great Recession. In the next 18 months, they were, the, and, and this is if they would have bought the S&P 500 index only. Over the next 18 months, they would have been seeing their portfolio fall by more than 55%, by more than half. Mm. But had they held for a 10-year time frame to October 17, had they committed to be a long-term investor, their annualized return over that time frame would have been 7.2%. So you would have lost over half your value in the first 18 months. But being a long-term investor, you would have earned 7.2% over that 10-year time frame. And I think it speaks volumes about having that long-term approach. And if you have a long-term approach, anything that happens in the short term, then this month, next month, in the whole scheme of things, it's going to have a very small effect on your overall financial plan. Yeah. So what, uh, John Fisher's advice, again, Chief Investment Officer, Visionary Wealth Advisors, what is the best advice for investors as we move to 2019 and beyond? Yeah, Brett, I think there's, there's four primary things I would focus on for investors. Um, and it's not going to be any stock picks if that's what you're hoping for. Nope. Unfortunately, uh, again, that would go against our, our inability to uh, predict. And so it's important that we prepare in, in terms of the mentality that we help coach our clients. I think first and foremost, what can help clients as we focus on 2019 and move forward is having an investment plan, right? Talking about what your goals are, your risk tolerance and your comfort with risk, your time horizon. And within that investment plan, also talking about actions you will and won't take. Brett, I know you're a planner. You're a planner in terms of your day and how you achieve your goals on a personal level. You're also a financial planner in helping your own clients. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how much more successful you are with your plan, both life and clients, if they have a picture of what they're supposed to do versus if they're just going to wing it on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I appreciate you asking that. I, I am a huge planner. And I think I, the, the thing I always say is uh, clarity precedes mastery. And so if I want to try to go out and master something, i.e., it's my goals, it's the goals for the year, the goals we have as a firm, the goals we have as a family. The clearer I can be on those goals, I actually shoot for about 10 to 15 reasons why I want to go do X. Well, then if I do that, there's a much greater likelihood that it'll happen. That's right. And, it's, and if you think of anything in your life, I think about how I set my agenda on a given day. If I don't have my time, my schedule blocked off, then before I know the day is getting, is taking, is, is getting ahead of me and, it, and my day is controlling me as opposed to right. me controlling my day. Yeah. And that same thing goes for our investment plan. If you have a plan before that, 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 the storm, that market storm hits, you already have a laid out about what you will and won't do. And so I think the, big, the number one thing you can do for yourself is make sure you have an investment plan. Number two is I think now is a great time to review your risk tolerance. One thing that we've we've realized that we that his, that research shows is that your risk tolerance changes over time, and it changes over time both as we age and it changes over time based on different parts of the market cycle. So if I were to ask Mr. or Mrs. Client to take a risk tolerance questionnaire three years ago, you know when the market had been going well for five straight years, their risk tolerance would have been different than if we were to ask that client to take a risk tolerance questionnaire in uh, March of '09 when the market had just fallen by fifty five percent. And so I think it's important as investors to think that it's important to get different time frames of evaluation of what our risk tolerance is to make sure that we're comfortable with the risks that we're taking. You know, Brett, you made the analogy of six flags before. And I always like to say that with the analogy for our investment portfolio is we basically have to choose a roller coaster that we're going to be comfortable riding every day, all day. We can't get off. And when it goes too low, we can, you know, if you get off, that's, the, that's basically selling low and your own, your own worst enemy. And so by making sure that your risk tolerance is in line with what you're comfortable with, you can make sure that in those moments of pain at the bottom, that you're not gonna, you're you're less likely to sell because it it doesn't breach your level of comfort with risk. 
one other, uh, two other points I'd make. Point number three is, is, you know, be aware of your emotions preying on your decisions in terms of, you know, helping to have a better investment outcomes in 2019 and beyond is, you know, this, this topic we've talked about is behavioral finance and how emotions and, and psychology affect our decisions when it comes to investing. And so half of that battle really is, is being aware that our emotions can prey on our decisions. And, but I think one thing that maybe um, the average listener may not realize is that we're all emotional with our decisions around it comes with money. Yep. Brett, you're a financial planner. You deal with a lot of different clients. Um, Brett, you're, you, you, have a, you deal with emotions with your own money. You, know, you make emotional mistakes. I have a plenty of education around seeing other people make emotional mistakes, talking to people about not making emotional mistakes, and I still make emotional decisions with my money. And so I think it's a case of everyone realizing that we, that decision or that, that propensity for us to have emotions drive our decisions, we all have that risk. And just being aware that, that we are subjected to that can help make us better investors by having a little bit more awareness when it comes time to make investments to say, well, hold on, you know, maybe, maybe just instead of hitting that purchase button or calling the advisor and saying, do this, you might stop and think, okay, what are my reasons for doing this? And are they valid or should we talk yeah. through this again? Well, I think it's also, it's easier to have emotions on your own stuff, but that's why it's so important as I like to call us guides or a financial planner, you yes. know, a teammate is I can help you slow down and ask the right questions to hopefully, again, take that emotion, that fear or that greed out of the situation. I think that's why it's so critically important to work with somebody. Brett, I couldn't agree with you more. So point number, point number four um, about you know, have, you know, my advice for investors moving into 2019 and beyond is actually consider an advisor or a coach, which is exactly what you just talked about, Brett. Um, <laughs> I'm reminded that a lot of ideas- And that's unscripted. That's unscripted. <laughs> that is completely unscripted. Um, you know, a lot of ideas that we have in our head seem great. And then I think the real, the real challenge or water test is sharing those ideas with others. And I think that's one thing that a coach can do, whether it be a running coach, whether it can be a business coach, whether it can be an investment coach, is, is have a sounding board to say what is rational and what's not rational here. And when it comes to investment, investing, that's so critical. You know, you look, you know, aside from providing financial planning expertise, one of the biggest values a financial advisor can have is to help educate and coach you how to make better investment decisions and avoid harmful behavioral mistakes. So I think when you look at one key point of 2018 for our advisors with clients was coaching for more market fluctuation and how to prepare for it. We talked a little bit about that earlier about, you know, that I felt like being as a Debbie Downer because talking about how much clients seem to be prepared for more volatility yep. because the 17 was so calm. And so what really focused on was telling clients is to prepare for more market fluctuation. We're not saying the market's going to go down, but that we know the market's going to be a little bit more. We, we, there's a, a, because 2017 was so abnormally low in terms of its market fluctuation, there's a high probability that 2018 would have more market volatility. And the more that we can prepare for things in life, the better we, we are to be able to handle those things. You know, and the one last the analogy I'd use with that is, you know, Brett, you're, you're, you coach uh, grade school basketball, right? That's right. And so I always think about, you know, with a minute to play in the game, you have an out-of-bounds play and, you know, you're down by two. If you want your grade school basketball team to be able to effectively run that out-of-bounds play, you can't, you can't expect to achieve a, a run that play successfully if you don't practice it and practice over and over and over again. I think that's one of the biggest values of a financial advisor is that their ability to help coach you through the, what are we going to do when the market, you know, when the market goes down? How are we going to prepare for this? And actually, Brett, more, most importantly, and you can speak to this, what are we not going to do when the market falls? Yeah, I think you were... Uh... You must have been at my one of my last games because we had a painful loss the other day. We were up one. 
one of our players had to throw it, you know, across the backcourt because they can't play defense over there. Well, long story short, we didn't call a timeout and didn't prepare, and uh, we threw the ball away and lost the game at the buzzer. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. We got to prepare. So and so that that same thing we see with clients, right? Is and we get calls from clients now is that you know because we've seen almost a twenty percent decline in terms of the S and P five hundred over the past three or four months, and so. We've had, uh, you know, uh, investors reach out to us and say, this is, you know, I wasn't prepared for this. What can we do? And, and, and again, that commitment of what we can do is not saying what's going to happen in the future, but it's actually saying we don't know exactly how the future is going to play out. But by creating an investment plan that lays out your goals, your risk tolerance, your time horizon, actions you will and won't take, by reviewing that risk tolerance and being aware of our emotions and how they affect our investment decisions, and finally, by considering an advisor or coach, I think that really can set up an a, all investors to be much more successful in the future. Awesome. Well, John Fisher, Chief Investment Officer for Visionary Wealth Advisors, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio with us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all your expertise on behavioral finance and just letting us understand, again, what you talked about, having an investment plan, reviewing your risk tolerance, being aware of our emotions. Huge, right? We talked about that a lot today. And then having that, that guide, that coach, that advisor that works with you. So it's been great having you. Thanks for being on the Circuit of Success. And for those of our listeners that are uh, joining us, you can catch us at uh, visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can find us on social media anywhere, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, all the places out there. And uh, if you need any help, you know, be sure to reach out. Let us know. We're happy to set up a meeting, have a free consultation and talk with you and help you with your financial planning and help you with your behavioral uh, situation when it comes to your finances. So thanks for joining us on this week's Circuit of Success. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 